0: Ladies and gentlemen, I wanna pray a sin as a nation because uh, God shed his grace on us. And I mean that, and you're hearing a lot of rhetoric out there today about how this nation was corrupt and it was founded on weird things and ungodly things, but I'm gonna ask you guys a question. How many of us used to be laden in sin? What I mean by that, in bondage to sin. How many of us used to be like that? And thank God you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, amen? Thank God. Now, what if people around you started talking about your history and the only thing they brought up was what you were already redeemed for? Oh, they were an adulterer. They were this. Yeah, but weren't they redeemed? Didn't they repent? Did they not do those things? So we're seeing that in America right now where they're just constantly talking about history and how bad the founders were. And it's like, look, they were redeemed. They asked for forgiveness. And I'm gonna show you tons of examples on how God shed his grace on this nation, amen? So I want us to pray. So Father... In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the United States of America. Lord, more rightly called the States United of America, Lord, because you gave us Article 10 to say the states have more authority than the federal government. Lord, we thank you, God, for our country. We thank you, Lord, even through its flaws, Lord, your blood remains true. Your word remains true. You will absolve every sin that we repent of. And I just thank you, Father, for freedom to come to this house without interference to worship the Lord our God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're seeing it in other nations, aren't we? We're seeing where now in Canada they're arresting pastors for crying out loud for preaching the gospel. Because they weren't founded the way we were founded. And I'm going to show you some things today you've never heard before. And I'm telling you the reason why you haven't heard it is because it's supposed to be that way. If they remove God, guess who becomes God? We do. So we're going to talk about that today. We have Self-Evident Ministries. I travel all over the country. We also have a podcast that's live every Sunday night. If you guys want to subscribe and tune in on Facebook, we go live uh, every week. Um, Our ministry has traveled all over the nation. I'm I'm the founder of Self-Evident Ministry along with my wife, Carrie, right there. Um, And so we traveled. Before we came to Revive Church, this is what we were doing full-time. I started to come here uh, and the Lord totally blessed it. And I thank Pastor Todd and Jan for allowing us to preach this message because not a lot of pulpits are willing to preach this. So we're gonna be talking about that today, amen? So we got some stuff back there. You guys see that table? Say hi, or whoever's at the table back there. We have a curriculum. I'm gonna be saying certain things today that you're not gonna know. And so we have a curriculum called Government versus God. What did God entail as far as liberty? Why is that important? So we have a curriculum back there. We also have some gratuitous merch, uh, a lot of cool stuff. If you guys wanna support our ministry, this is how we get into public schools. This is how we get into colleges. This is how we go all over the countries because people like you support us and pray for us. And guys, I'm telling you, you who are of the elderly persuasion, and I'm talking about those who are like, "What what am I left to do? Thank you for praying for people like me because now I'm here standing, preaching the gospel all over the country to kids who will never know the gospel because of your prayers. Thank you. Thank you. And if you notice, these three right here, Gloria, where are you? You're rocking it, girl. There's Micah, Zoe. Got some cool stuff back there. So let's get into this thing, huh? This is John Adams. John Adams was the second president of the United States. You know what I loved about John Adams? This is what they said about him. He was short, he was chubby, and he was loud. Yes! Yes! But this is what he said about July 2nd, 1776, and why July 2nd is so important is because that's when we signed the Declaration of Independence, it was just declared on the 4th as a national holiday, okay? So July 2nd, this is what he said, the second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable time in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated of succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Listen to this next line. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Then he says this. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade and shows and games and sports and guns and uh, all those things. And to the end of this continent, to the other uh, forward forevermore. So what he's saying is that's good. We should celebrate it. But first, we need to devote ourselves to God for giving us this country. So it's not just enough to have these cool parties and watch some fireworks. Those are fantastic things to do. We love having family over and all those things. But we need to be in tune with the Lord. This is how do we know Samuel Adams today, guys? Heathen? I'm kidding. Totally plain. Samuel Adams, this was John Adams' cousin. This is what he said. We have this day, the 4th of July, restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in the heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. Now, I have a question. Why isn't that taught to kids today? Why aren't we taught that this nation was blood-bought? Why are we only taught about its flaws and its wrongdoings. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Let's just get into this for a minute. Socialism, communism, any other ism outside of God's word is demonic. I'll tell you why. Because it's unbiblical, it's unscriptural, and Jesus did not teach that. He said for you to go and feed the poor. He said for you to go heal the sick, raise the, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. He told you to be personally responsible for you and your family, not a government. And if you remove that and put it in the hands of government, you've now taken away God and said, they can do it for me. Doesn't that sound familiar? The Hebrew Republic, Lord, we want a king like other nations. That wasn't a good scenario. Let's get into this. Freedom Sunday, God shed his grace on us. This is how it began. Let's just go right into history. These are some of the scriptures they used during the revolution. And guys, I know some of you are going to have questions for me, and that's good. See me in the back. I would totally love to point you to all these things that I know to be true, when they use Romans 13, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil deeds. Now, here's what happened the king of England was out there destroying people's homes, going into people's homes and raping their wives and their daughters. They were taking over uh, businesses, they were t- uh, stealing from them in taxation. And the Bible says that if we're supposed to submit to government, government is only to punish evil and do good. But what happens when it starts to punish good and do evil? How can I submit to something evil? Let's continue. 1 Peter 2, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for whose sake? Is abortion the Lord's sake? Think about this. These were the scriptures they were using at the time. Exodus 18, choose able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. Hello. And you shall place these as leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Here's another one. Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Listen to me. If freedom only comes in the spiritual but not in the natural, what good is freedom? What good is it for me to only be free in the spiritual and not the natural? Because here in this country, you know how the Bible says and people say that we're going to be persecuted and they're going to shut us down and they're going to do all these things? Listen, we have something called the First Amendment. And the First Amendment protects your right to preach the gospel without (laughs) interference, without persecution from government or any entity. No other nation in history had something like this. No other nation in history had anything like this before in recorded history. Nowhere, you'll never find it. This is why this experiment was so wonderful because it was like relieving ourselves freedom under the Lord. Genesis 1, 24 through 28 talks about life, liberty, and property. That was the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. Isaiah 33, we got our three branches of government for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. Those are all three branches of government. See, all these scriptures come into play. How many of you guys have ever heard that before except for me? Exactly, it's purposed. They don't want you to know God did this. They don't want you to know. So I'm gonna go into 1639. Did you guys know the first constitution written on these lands was taken from a sermon by Reverend Thomas Hooker? Listen to this. It was the first constitution written in America. It set up a detailed system of government where people, the power rested with the people. Self-government. In 1639, if you guys have ever heard the Mayflower Compact, when it said, in the name of God, amen, we whose uh, servants are to the king of Spain, he said, for the undertaking of the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's why we came to these lands. And the name of the sermon that Reverend Hooker preached that Sunday was this, the foundation of authority is laid in the free consent of the people. Which means that God gives you liberty, not to a king, but to you, because you're kings and priests in his eyes. I love freedom, man. I love freedom. What people hate about freedom is it's dangerous. (laughs) It is. People left to their own devices, that's craziness. That's crazy talk. This is why the gospel must be preached in the streets. This is the whole reason for the church. The first great awakening. I've never done anything like this before but I just love where this went. I was putting this message together and I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? We're gonna talk about the first great awakening from 1734 to 1737, the Edwards brothers. I'm sorry the, the, I'm sorry, the Wesley brothers, I put Edwards brothers. So Wesley brothers preached, people are all by nature dead in sin. You don't hear that kind of preaching no more. People are all together, they're dead in their sins. They're dead in their trespasses, the word says in Romans. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. That people are justified by faith alone. I cannot justify myself by my works. I trust in the merits of Jesus Christ, Samuel Adams said on his deathbed. These were the thunderings of the pulpits at that time. They preached faith produces inward and outward holiness. They placed greater importance on the seasons of revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit and on converted sinners experiencing God's love personally. So at that time, there was a bunch of religions. You guys know all 13 colonies had their own state religions. And with religion comes a lot of rules. So these guys come in and say, wait a minute, what about this God that wants to transform your heart and make it personal to you? So then all of a sudden, they started preaching these messages, and then things started to spark up, and then here comes George Whitfield. George Whitfield began preaching in the colonies from 1738 to 1743, traveling much of New England, and this is what he said, I am verily persuaded, he wrote, that generally, and, and preachers talking of an unknown, unfelt Christ, and the reason why congregations have been so dead is because dead men preach to them. Now that's a sermon. The reason churches are dead is because dead men preach to them. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, what's changing these people? If you're gonna serve Jesus and not do anything for Him, I ask you, where's the faith? Faith without works is dead. It says in James, that sparked a revival. Ladies and gentlemen, what about Jonathan Edwards? The revival of 1734 to 1735, where Edwards preached sermons on justification by faith. Critics, listen to this, critics called this enthusiasm, but its supporters called it the move of the Spirit. An estimated 30 to 50,000 souls were saved in a year. Yeah. So that was in the 1730s and 40s, right? Let's fast forward a little bit. We'll go to 1774. This is Reverend Jacob Duchesne in the First Continental Congress. He was asked to pray. They did a prayer service and this is what's part of his prayer. I'm not gonna read it all. O Lord, our heavenly Father, high and mighty, King of kings and Lord of lords, who does from thy throne behold all dwellers on the earth and reigns with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms. Listen to that. Lock down or look down in mercy, we beseech you on these American states who have fled to you from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring henceforth to be dependent only on you. Preserve the health of their bodies and the vigor of their minds. Shower dawn on them. The millions, here they represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world. And crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy son, our savior, amen. That prayer service lasted two hours. Did you know that? Two hours. So then John Adams was there. He wrote to his wife and he said, Holy smokes, this dude just brought down the house in prayer. And then he read Psalm 35. He said it was as if heaven ordained for that psalm to be read on that morning. All of this is in that curriculum if you guys want to get it. He said, I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven ordained for that psalm to be read on that morning. And here's where we're going to talk about God shed his grace on us. What about the miracles during the founding? Dude, this stuff gets me lit up. Do you know why? Because when I see God's work at hand, that means we can do it again we can do it again. It wasn't written for us to say, nice story. It was written for us to say, if it was done once, it can be done again. We can see a nation redeemed to Christ again. Amen. This is Daniel Webster. He said this in 1802. Doesn't he look happy? He said this, hold on, my friends, to the Constitution. This man was a Christian. He was an orator. He was a statesman. He was a politician. His cousin was Noah Webster, where we get our Webster's dictionaries from, the father of the American education system. He was one of them. This is Daniel Webster. He said, hold on, my friends, to the Constitution and to the republic for which it stands. Miracles do not cluster. And what has happened once in 6,000 years, biblical view of government Biblical view of the world. What has happened once in 6,000 years may not happen again. He said, hold on to the Constitution, for if the American Constitution should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. See, all these sins that were happening at the time, let's get into that a little bit. Slavery, abomination, nobody denies that. Do you guys know that was a worldwide plague? Do you guys know that the Native Americans... Had slaves? Do you guys know that Africa was selling its own people? Do you guys know guys like Genghis Khan, King of England, all these guys had slaves too? It wasn't exclusive to America, but here's what we were doing and what I'm gonna show you here, how much we were repenting for the sins of our country by our leaders. Something you're not taught anymore and I don't know why. Well, actually I do know why. I do know exactly why they're doing it. And then they're starting to do these things called the 1619 Project. Critical race theory, all these things. Oh, and guys, you Christians need to be more tolerant, so we're just going to accept anything that comes, and you Christians are bad now. Not realizing, not realizing that those people who don't believe in God have the freedom not to believe in God because it was God that gave them that freedom. Here's a miracle that happened at the time of the founding. This is the British Empire's influence. The most powerful king in history was the King of England. Listen to this. He controlled 13 million square miles and over a half a billion people. 13 million square miles. This is parts of the areas he controlled. All of India, which was a quarter of the world's population alone, Hong Kong, New Zealand. Australia, Egypt, Kenya to South Africa, Canada, and the Bahamas, and for a little while, the Americas. So he had control of all of this. So when you're hearing about a revolution, we were literally fighting against our own government. It's called a civil war. Okay? So the king of England was pretty doggone powerful, and we thought, why not go up against him? (laughs) Do you know what the population of America was at that time? Three million. And God used 5% of the three million to defeat that empire. We'll get into that in a minute. <clears throat> in 1776, George Washington was in New York. and New York Harbor, filled with 1,400 British ships, they were coming ready to attack, carrying 32,000 troops. 32,000 troops were at the shores of New York. And there's Washington going, um, I only got militia and a few of the Continental Army. It's all I got, right? Thousands of wooden masts were described as looking like a forest, In 1776, General William Livingston proposed in Congress a day of fasting and passed without objection. He said this, we earnestly recommend the 17th of May be observed as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. How come you're not taught that? All with united hearts confessing and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions and by sincere repentance and amendment of life appease God's righteous displeasure, and through the merits and meditation of Jesus Christ obtain his pardon and forgiveness. This was, written, this was read in Congress. We need that today again, don't we, in Congress? <laughs> This was two months before signing the Declaration of Independence and getting into a war that we couldn't afford. And our population at the time was, like I said, two, two and a half to three million people. And in most cases, all of the wars we, fe- we faced, we were outnumbered 20 to one. Doesn't that sound like a setup from God, though? Because nowhere in Scripture will you read that God used the majority to win his battles. This stuff I get lit on because this puts faith in me. When people aren't doing it, as long as it's me and God, we're the majority. Amen, that's the church, that's the church. George Washington ordered when he found out about this, he ordered the Continental Congress having ordered Friday the 17th uh, to be observed as a day of fasting, humiliation and prayer, humbly to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God that it would please him to pardon all of our manifold sins and transgressions and he wrote in May 31st, several days later, he said we expect a very bloody summer of it at New York. We're not either in men or in guns prepared for it. If our cause is just, as I do most religiously believe it to be, the same providence which has in many instances appeared for us will still go on to afford its aid. Do you guys know that the Declaration of Independence mentions God four times? The Constitution does not, and I'll tell you why. Because the Constitution was written to restrain the federal government from being infringing on religious freedom. So it didn't have to mention God. You know what I was telling the federal government? This is what you can do? Actually, no, it doesn't even say that. It says this is what you can't do. It was, it, was a, it was a literal document of thou shalt not against the federal government. Didn't need to mention God, but our seedbed, the declaration, surely does. Let's get into that. A copy of the declaration was rushed to, uh, to, to Washington on July 9th, and he had it read to his troops. And it says these four lines, the laws of nature and of nature's gods in the first paragraph. The second paragraph where it says, all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that statement was the most revolutionary statement in history. And I'll tell you why in a minute. The next line was this. In the fifth paragraph, it says, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. The last paragraph says this, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. That phrase, all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain rights, was the most revolutionary political statement in the world's history because here's the reason. You see the left column? Back in that day, monarchies were constant. Kings were constant. So the power went from the creator to the king, then to the people. Do you know how bad that was? When the king could just blanket laws the way he wants to, they could just write them at the stroke of a pen. If they wanted to do something, they could just write there and then, just say, hey, we created a law. Doesn't that sound like today? Yeah, we were never meant to be set up like that. Here's how we were set up. This is why it was so revolutionary. Look at the next column. From the creator to the people to political leaders. Here's why. God said, you are kings and priests, and I have entrusted and ordained you with inalienable rights. Therefore, you are to be the guardians of liberty. Therefore, you are to be ones that protect your liberty. The Second Amendment can't protect your liberty. It protects you from foreign invaders. You protect liberty. It's on you to protect liberty. Amen? Let's continue. Morality governs a nation. Let's get into this for a minute. As virtue goes down, power increases for those that are in power. Allow me to explain. Benjamin Franklin said only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. Right? But the people, when they have the authority, when they, have, they want to be governed by themselves under God, it's great because now we're under that rule. We're under God's law and disposition. But as virtue goes down, Lord Acton once said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the more power we give to a government, what do you think they're going to do with it? You think they're going to give it back? Look what happened with COVID, y'all. Who would have thought that they would have infringed on the rights of the church? Who would have thought that? And guess what? You know the stories you're not hearing that the churches are winning all over the country in courts. You're not hearing that, but they're winning all over the country (laughs) because God is good. And he wrote a system of government to protect their rights. You know, with racism and all immorality, you know what we're really fighting? Not racism. We're fighting the sin of man. Cain killed Abel. He hated Abel. Was that racist or was that just hatred? Notice how the scriptures never talk about racism. You know what they do talk about? Hatred towards one another. And what they're doing is cherry picking you and trying to separate and divide you guys. Listen, they're dividing, they're pitting people against each other because guys, guess what? In this country, there's no such thing as Mexican American, African American, white American. We're all Americans in the United States of America. That's the way it should be. And if you have the spirit of God in you, you'll discern the division coming at you. Am I saying it's gonna be easy? Nope. Were the founders perfect men? Oh my gosh, no. They wrote about their flaws. Why do you think they depended on the writings of Christ? But you know what it shows me? Just like scripture, that God can use imperfect men to do something miraculous, man. (laughs) Let's continue. Guys, we only got two more hours of this. Rock and roll. If we want to be ruled without a king, we need to be like Israel where the, where the priests taught the law. But if the priests no longer stopped or they stopped teaching the law, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Read Samuel. Sin went rampant and Eli's sons were committing gross acts in the tabernacle. So not only did the sins run rampant in the nation, the tabernacles were going rampant too. Right? Let's continue. People go to Samuel and say, we want to be like other nations. We want a king. And the Lord told Samuel, they didn't reject you, they rejected me. Because we can't self-govern ourselves. We need someone to rule over us because you won't listen to the spirit of God. Your hearts are hardened. And God gave us his spirit, right? But it was more of a curse than a blessing to have a King Saul. They were ruled by Saul and Samuel said, he will give your lands to his favorites. Wealth redistribution. He'll take your sons for war and your daughters to be cooks and determine the fate of your children. Isn't that happening with abortion? Dude, you see what happens when we want a king and not God? See, President Trump's not a king. He's just a man. This is why when people say, DeSantis, run for president. No, 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 no. Because all I want the president to do is say, I'm gonna give the power back to the states. That's what they need to do. We don't need a man to fix it. Man created this mess. We can't depend on a man to fix it. We need the Lord. We need his guidance. We need his statutes. Back to Washington. He suspected an attack from the sea, but a loyalist in his camp, a Benedict Arnold, if you will, led 10,000 British troops through the night through Jamaica Pass and attacked the Continental Army from behind. The Continental Army lost 3,000 men that day and had no other help. They were the only army. This is where the miracles happen, man. British General Howe trapped 8,000 Americans on Brooklyn Heights Island and backed up against the sea. That night, Washington ferried. He had this idea. He's like, grab every boat you can. We're gonna ferry our men over to Manhattan Island. Grab every boat you can because it's in the middle of the night. They're not gonna attack us. So guess what they start doing? Get the horses first. Get the cannons first. We'll start moving. Guess what? They were a little slow. They didn't have little motors on their boats, right? So they're freaking out. The sun's about to come up. And only half of the army was ferried across. And they're freaking out because they know morning time's coming and the British are coming to attack us. But then something peculiar happened. But then a very dense fog appeared over both camps. Watch this. Dude, if this doesn't give you the goosies, I don't know what will. This is so awesome. Major Ben Talmadge wrote this. He was a chief of of intelligence for Washington. He said, as the dawn of the next day approached, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. When the dawn appeared, there were several regiments still on duty. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise over the river, and it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. I recollect this peculiar, providential occurrence perfectly well. So very, well, so very dense was the atmosphere, listen to that, so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man six yards distance. We tarried till the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. You tell me the last time a dense fog happened when the sun rose. It starts to go away, doesn't it? Nope, it remained. Because God heard their fasting and prayer. He heard what they were doing. Washington was the last one on the boat. That's a leader. First one in, last one out. That was a leader. When the fog finally lifted the British charged, and no one was there. The last, this was the last chance that the British had to defeat the Continental Army. Washington wrote in 1778, four years later, I'm sorry, two years later, the hand of providence has been so conspicuous in all of this, the course of the war, that he must, that he must worse, be worse than an infidel that lacks faith. He said, but it will be time enough for me to turn preacher when my appointment ceases. He said, because of this, I'm gonna turn into a preacher. As soon as this is over, man, I'm preaching this. I mean, imagine that you're you're surrounded, and God delivers you miraculously. He's saying you got to be worse than an infidel not to have faith after that. You're not saying there's no atheist in a foxhole. He just said that. Here's what he said in his farewell address, and I'm going to tell you about the character of Washington. He said, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim tribute to patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. What he's saying is, you can't even call yourself a patriot if you're not ascribing to religion and morality. That'll preach. Here's another miracle, the story of bulletproof George Washington. Again, another one, this if I make it through this, I'll be happy. In 1754, the French and Indian War was going on and the British militia detachment formed, led by a 22-year-old Virginia Colonel George Washington. 1,400 British troops marched over the Appalachian Mountains to take Fort, a fort owned by the French, which is now Pennsylvania. <clears throat> Passing by the Monongahela River, They were ambushed by French regulars, Canadians, and and the Patuami and the Ottawa Indians. Washington was used to fighting in an open field. He wasn't used to being ambushed or hiding. He was used to that open-ended combat. You know, you ever see those, like, uh, the Patriots or any of those videos? They're just in front of each other just shooting. What a crazy way to do a war, huh? How about hide? You know? (laughs) Bam! (laughs) Why did I get shot? I don't know. So... Because he was so used to fighting in open field, Washington went back and forth on horseback through the whole war, taking messages from his general. Back and forth in open war where people were just shooting at them, right? For Edward Braddock, the general, the commander in chief until he was shot dead along with every other officer on horseback except Washington. Every other officer died except him. He wrote of this account to his younger brother, John Washington, and said this, but by all the powerful dispensations of providence, God, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation. For I had full bullet holes through my coat and two horses shot from under me yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. 15 years later, the Indian chief that was firing at them had an interpreter come and he met Washington and his uh, personal physician. Dr. Craig, and he said this. This is what the Indian chief, this is what was interpreted. This is all in the Library of Congress, by the way. I am a chief and a ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and the far blue mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on that day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forests that I first beheld this chief. He's talking about Washington. I called to my young men and said, Mark, yon, this tall, daring warrior, he's not of the redcoat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom and and has a warrior's heart like we do. Himself alone exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which but for you knew not how to miss. It was all in vain and a power mightier far than we shielded you. One warrior declared, I had 17 fair fires at him with my rifle. And after all could not bring him down to the ground, seeing you were under the special guardianship of the great spirit, we immediately cease fire on you. You tell me God can't protect you. How much has he delivered you from? And if you're willing to fight, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, he makes you strong in the war. Not before it, in it. And he will protect you as he protected others. Now watch this. He then began to prophesy. This chief did. Look how God uses people, man. He said this. I am old and soon to be gathered with the great council of fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But ere I go, there's something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, the great spirit protects that man and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. Dude. Can you tell me why that's not Captain America? Captain Jesus, man. Look at that. That's faith, man. How come we read things like Hebrews 11 where he said that through faith they subdued nations. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the fiery darts of the enemy. It can happen again, folks. It can happen again. These agendas happening in America are nothing new. He's looking for a people submitted to him so he can use them to destroy these agendas. And people are saying, it's the end of the world, Mass. Jesus is coming back. Listen, you don't know when he's coming back. Go save souls for Jesus. Go get him. You don't know when he's coming back. None of us do. We say it's the signs of the times. Yeah, there's tons of signs of the times back then too. Did you guys know that during that time they were so surrounded that their, that their daughters were being raped in their homes? Is that happening here? It's happening in other nations, isn't it? Hurricanes, earthquakes, all these things were happening just like that too. But they didn't go saying, oh, it's time to give up now. Jesus is coming back. You know what they said? No, Lord, we're gonna honor you and fight for you. Bring us a nation that'll glorify you. One last miracle. On February 21st, 1786, New Hampshire uh, Governor John Langdon said a day of national fasting and prayer. He said that it would, be, it would be pleased to bless the great council of the United States of America and direct their deliberations that he would rain down righteousness upon the earth, revive religion, and spread abroad the knowledge of the true God, the Savior of man. This was during the Constitutional Convention, so we got through all this whole war stuff. Now we're writing our Constitution. This was uh, back in the day in 1787. The 55 writers of the United States Constitution were 28 Episcopalians, 11 Presbyterians, 7 Congregationalists, 2 Lutherans, 2 Dutch Reformed, 2 Methodists, 2 Quakers, 2 Roman Catholics, and Dr. Franklin, who all say is a deist. Or an atheist, if you want to call him that. One of the most controversial issues of the state's representation, so what was happening at the time was, I'll just break this down simply because I don't want to go through all that. What was happening at the time was you have 55 dudes who are trying to figure out how to have a nation where states can be more free than the federal government because they saw what a federal government, an overpowering government can do because here's why. You had the federalist faction of the government at the time who said this, men are sinful. They're not angels, so we need a strong government to restrain their passions, Good logical thinking. But here's what the anti-federalists said. You're right. Men aren't angels, so why give them authority and power? Makes sense, doesn't it? So there was this fight that was going on. How do we keep people free? So here's what was happening. Tempers were flaring like crazy. People were walking out of the meeting. We literally were this close to not having a constitution. So then Ben Franklin got up and said, I got something to say. And he was like 87 years old at the time. And he made this speech. He said, let's take a three-day break. He said, but before we do that, in this situation of the assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and have scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights, God, to illuminate our understandings? He said that through the whole delineation, they weren't even in prayer about it. How many of you guys have had some good ideas and never took it to prayer? You know it was a God thing, but it's like, you know, we just need to go do the God thing. We don't go into prayer for it. We don't fast for it, right? We're just going to go to it. And he said this. In the beginning of our contest with Great Britain, we were sensible to the danger we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And now have we forgotten that powerful friend? Have we forgotten God in all this? We wanna have national felicity, but he gave it to us in the first place. Why are we forgetting him, he said. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Two weeks later, they signed the Constitution after praying. So God took 55 men who were ready to walk out of these meetings, and turned it for the glory of God, and here we have a nation. Was it perfect? No. You tell me another nation that's this free. Even through its flaws, even through its politics, because here, man creates politics, folks. God creates government. God creates law and government. So what's happening politically out there, all the division and strife and stuff, is what man is doing, not what God established. And guys, slavery was destroyed by Christians. Guys, who was one of the most prominent people speaking out on civil rights? Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, a reverend, led his church. Oh my gosh, if I could tell you stories of the clergy. The National Gazette in 1789 (laughs) said it was the clergymen that established this nation. It was the preachers of the time. We don't talk about that anymore. Why? Why? Because if they shut down the church, we got nothing. Churches closed for so long last year because we trusted in the opinion of a man. Sorry, it's the truth. We have healing centers right here. Why close the doors? This is where the hope is, y'all. Why close the doors? Why? Why do that? And it wasn't just that they closed. It was like the government said, so therefore we have to do it. I can't tell you that. Nowhere in the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, or any document says that they have the authority to come into your church and shut it down. Nowhere. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. Separation of church and state means that they're supposed to separate themselves from the church not the other way around. We're not supposed to separate ourselves from government. We need godly men and women in government. That's what this was about. Could it be from that point on as to why Congress printed Bibles for public schools in America in 1782? Do you know that 20,000 works of the Bible were printed for public schools in America? How awesome is that? It was an act of Congress. Do you know what George Washington, when he was sworn in, he was sworn in on a Bible that somehow someone said, oh, we forgot the Bible. So they quick ran over to St. Paul's Church, grabbed the old King James Bible. It's a big thing, too. They have a picture of it. Huge Bible. Put his hand on, I think it was in the Psalms, he kissed the Bible and he said, uh, he said God help me. That's when the oath was taken. Now, check this out. If you didn't know, this is awesome. So after that, he goes in and gives a speech as the first president of the United States. You know what they did after that? They went to St. Paul's Church, had a three-hour church service, came back and then adjourned Congress. (laughs) How awesome is that? How come you're not taught that? Even through their flaws, they knew they needed God because they were repenting of sins that were so old. Folks, how many of us are young people? How many of us are 30 and under? Isn't abortion just normal? Just normal, you grow up thinking abortion's just normal, it happens. It isn't until you grow up and you say, man, they're killing the life of the unborn. Those are God's kids. But when you're blind and you're dark, you just think, it's abortion, man. Same thing with slavery. Same thing with oppression. Same thing with wars and rumors of wars. All those national and worldwide sins were happening because it was just happening. But did you know that Thomas Jefferson helped William Wilberforce defeat slavery in England? One man stood alone for 44 years and stopped the slave trade in England. One one man, because he said no man should be in servitude. Uh, William Wilberforce, look up, look up his story. Right after the thing was passed to stop the slave trade in the in the British colonies, forty-four years later, they sent a runner to his house, and they said slavery's done, sir. And he died three days later, because the Lord was faithful to him to show him the victory. And we could see the same thing happen in America again. Same thing. You know why I love this message? Because it's timeless. I love it when people tell me, your message is relevant today, bro. It's timeless. These truths are timeless. Notice I'm not talking about what the Republicans said yesterday or the Democrats said yesterday. You know what? I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Christian and a constitutionalist. That's what we all need to be. And we all should be that way. Right or left, folks, Have you noticed that we're kind of falling under the same things under both parties? Have you noticed that 60 million babies have died under both parties? Have you noticed that public schools are being overrun by, oh my gosh, ungodly teachings under both parties? Who do we need to trust in, folks? This is why the Washington, this obelisk, it says this, holiness unto the Lord, and it searched the scriptures. All of this is in the Washington Monument. Is that for me to end? I got like 100 more slides, bro. All right, Mass, tone it down. We're getting some emails, Mass. Oh, my goodness. Send the emails. I'd love to talk to you. On the Jefferson Memorial, do you know all the quotes on the Jefferson Memorial talk about the Lord? If you were going to take a quote from a deist, why would you talk about the Lord? God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble when I reflect for my country that God is just. His justice can't sleep forever. Let's continue. This is John Hancock. Sensible to the importance of the Christian piety and virtue to order and happiness of a state, I cannot but earnestly commend to you every measure for their support and encouragement. And after that, he started declaring days of prayer and fasting for a state in Massachusetts. So did John Adams, so did Samuel Adams. I'm not gonna go through that. Samuel said this, in the name, the name of the Lord, says the Scriptures is a strong tower. Thither, the righteous flee and are safe. Let us secure his favor and he will lead us through the journey of this life and length to receive us to a better one. This is where Thomas Paine comes in. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, if there's trouble, let it be in my days so that my child may have peace. Men, listen to me, listen to me. This is gonna step on your toes because it stepped on mine too, okay? This is what prods me to action. If you have faith, it'll prod you to action. Listen to me close. It's time to stop being cowards and start standing up like men for your kids. Don't leave it to your kids, guys. Boats and all these other things, they're great and God will bless you with those things. But here's what I was told once when I first became a Christian, Pastor Todd, take care of God's business and he'll take care of yours. Take care of God's business, he'll take care of yours. It's time now, men, to stand up and fight for your nation, for your kids, for your wives, for your daughters. It's time, ladies, empowerment, man, go out and run for these city councils and these school boards and these county councils. It's time for us to do what they're not willing to do to bring the Lord back into this nation again. And guess what? It starts with us, doesn't it? It starts here in Martin County, doesn't it? It starts in St. Lucie County, doesn't it? How am I gonna go to the nation when my own county's all messed up? It starts here. And this is what it's gonna take, church. It's gonna take all of us. Because here's the hope. If you couldn't read those stories and get a little bit of hope, I'm telling you, the more they say it's dark in the media, the more I know God is winning. Because if you believe the TV set over the scriptures... Read more of the scriptures. I remember a, a guy told my wife one time, do you remember when Joe said this? He said, read, woman of God, read the word till it talks back to you, till it starts talking back to you. Read the word till it starts talking back to you. When you have the word of God in you, all you wanna do is, because the Bible says to build yourself up in the most holy faith. Build yourselves up in the, in the holy faith. <clears throat> this is the last quote. This is John Adams. He said this posterity. Man, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. He said, I hope you make good use of it because if you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I took half the pains to preserve it. Then doesn't it sound like Paul when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the gospel. When now you're redeemed and set free, now I can go set free other people because it's no longer about you anymore. For those of you who have never found your calling, those of you who are saying you're too old, hey, read the story of Moses once. He was 80. Read Abraham. He was 75. God is good, isn't he? What about the woman at the well who had five husbands? Ain't no sin that God can't get rid of that he can't use you. Here, if we're taking America's logic today to talk about America, think about this. We could talk about David and just how much of an adultery he was and a murderer he was. And you know what? We shouldn't even listen to the words of David. But what did he say? Oh God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Oh God, redeem me. Lord, those that would speak against me, Lord, thou shalt condemn because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord right? What about Paul who persecuted Christians? By today's standards, because we did something in the past, everybody's condemned now. Do you notice that now, publicly, when men do things in the past 20, 30 years ago, they condemn them and say they discredit them? Where's the redemption of Jesus now? Notice how they're removing Christ. It's demonic, folks. Don't pay attention to those voices. Again, if you guys want to talk, we can talk, but this is the end. So I want to say, everybody, please stand up. Did you guys get something out of today? Amen. I don't know how long it went, but I hope it didn't go too long, because there's so much information, and guys, like, solve world peace, you got eight minutes, go, right? I mean, (laughs) there's so much to talk about in history. This is why we put together curriculums and all that stuff, and guys, seriously, this church has been behind us ever since I've been here. This church has been so supportive of our ministry. Um, You know what excites me? I think I'm a loud voice. You ought to read Pastor Jan's Facebook. That's... She is pumping and pushing, man. That is a patriot right there, dude. She's awesome. But I just want to say this. For this purpose, God sets you free. For this reason. So don't have any excuses as to why you can't preach. Matter of fact, through these stories, now have the faith and courage to be bolder and preach the gospel in America, amen? So Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this nation. We thank you, Lord, for setting us free from the law of sin and death, but not only that, for setting us free from earthly bondage, Lord, that we can walk in victory and freedom. God of heaven I thank you Lord for the great awakening Lord even after the constitution was signed a year later the second great awakening happened and there was massive revivals happening all over the Lord we are asking for the next great awakening we're asking you Lord to use this church as a great awakening spot to transform our city that it could transform our county to transform our state to then transform a nation father if you did it once you can do it again and Lord use us Lord even when we feel like we can't be used use us anyway Lord I thank you, Lord, we're not perfect, but you are. So, Father, perfect us in the war. Sanctify us in the fight, Father. Sanctify us is what we're called to do. Lord, make us ministers of flame of fire, and your righteousness righteous as bold as lions. Lord, be with us this day and days to come, Lord, because Independence Day is not just for America. It's for all of us in this room daily. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.